This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast, the home for non-technical executives who want to stay ahead of the AI curve. If you don't want to learn how to write Python, but you do want to be able to spot high ROI AI opportunities and help to build AI strategy, you found yourself in the right place. In this episode, we are focused on an industry we have not visited in actually many years. The legal space is a space that is rife with AI opportunity, particularly with natural language processing. And we've interviewed a number of legal tech firms on both coasts of the United States of America. Today, we go back to the West Coast, and our guest this week is Neil Sohata. For 12 years, Neil worked with IBM, including working with them as a master inventor focused on developing new patents with a focus on big data and analytics. He serves now as CEO of ACSI Labs and is also the Chief Innovation Officer for the University of California Irvine School of Law. So this takes us to the domain of law and the focus of today's episode. Two parts of today's episode that should be worth tuning into. The first is where I walk through with Neil specific use cases where AI is impacting law today. That is to say, what are applications that lawyers or folks within large law firms or the law departments of large enterprises are using today, whether it's on contracts, document search and discovery, etc. And Neil walks us through a few use cases that he believes have high levels of traction today. The second part of the episode is about the areas of the legal world that Neil believes are most likely to be disrupted in a big way in the coming five years. And again, as the CIO of the UC Irvine School of Law, Neil's pretty up close and personal with law as a space, and certainly with technology, with his background at IBM and his current work in kind of emerging technology consulting. And so his future perspective is an interesting one. And many of you who work in paperwork heavy industries, could be insurance, could be life sciences, could be healthcare, banking, doesn't matter you probably will resonate with some of what Neil casts forward in terms of certain workflows and certain processes that are more likely to be automated. So regardless of industry, there's certainly some insights around what the future might hold for certain kinds of processes. And again, my goal is always to extract those insights that help more of our business leaders look into the future and think about how they can adapt and adopt. And I think Neil does a good job of walking us through some of those futures in today's episode. So without further ado, this is Neil Sohata here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Neil, we're going to be talking about how law itself is shifting and where AI is kind of going to be inevitably altering the way that law operates. We can start kind of at a high level. You're in the university context getting to look at this. You're also out in the world of innovation and adoption getting to look at this. What does it mean to be a lawyer today? And how is that different than the past? How are things changing? It's an interesting question, Dan, because no offense to the lawyers out there, but (laughs) they'll be the first to admit they're trained to be linear thinkers. And they're one of the slowest to adopt any type of thing like computers, like even having like a a desktop became normal, like around 2000, because the bar mandated they start using that. (laughs) Jeez. So they're suddenly thrust into this, you know, AI wave where everything's rapidly changing. And while everyone gravitates to, okay, well, what are the rules, regulation, the legislation, the policy around this? They're also starting to realize that the, the, nature of the profession is rapidly changing as well. We've already had multiple cases now where um, there's like a murder and the only people in the room are the victim, the killer, and Alexa. 
And you have people now saying like, well, I want to use Alexa's recordings as evidence and then yeah. they can do that. And yeah. so being a lawyer now means that, okay, well, wait a second, I have to cross-examine Alexa. So I have to understand a little bit of how some of this works and how do you discredit or credit. And so they're starting to realize is this nonlinear thinking is becoming important, but understanding the technology at a foundational level is critical and using the technology for jury selection and legal research is other things are becoming must-haves. Yeah. And this is, you know, obviously affecting more than just lawyers, right? That the, the legal system would be the one putting, it's not like an individual lawyer named Jerry picks the jury, right? That's a, some governmental process. But a lot of these moving parts are in some way either being influenced or, or on the cusp of being influenced by AI. When you think about just the day-to-day work of a lawyer named Jerry in Wisconsin or outside of Boston, not all of them admittedly are going to run up against the Alexa murder case, although that's a really interesting one. And we'll probably <laughs> untangle that today. I thought that was a really fun anecdote. But when you think about when it's going to hit their radar, in what way will it show up for them in terms of their day to day? Because I think some of them feel like, no, my normal day to day, I have a laptop now, I'm techie, I'm going to kind of be doing the same thing in 10 years. You know, w- Would you argue that even the regular old lawyers off somewhere in a suburb are going to see shifts from AI in the next 10 years? They're going to see the shift in five years, okay. right? And the, the smart lawyers, the smart law firms are already realizing that. Even the law schools, you're seeing now the deans realizing what I'm teaching the students is going to be outdated in like three, four years. Yep. And they're all trying to figure out what's the next curriculum, what should we be focusing on? And it's it's a huge disruptive wave because it's it's a radical change and it's a rapid change. And everyone's kind of going like, how far is this going to go? What does this actually mean? Yeah. And of course, nobody has the exact answer, but at least you're getting to see the trends early on, given your position in the law school, what they're teaching, and also what technologies you're seeing influence the market. You know, and there's so many areas where it might influence, Neil, and you're going to have some opinions about which ones are more important. But when I look at the legal world and I think about a a lawyer named Jerry or Susan somewhere outside of Boston or Wisconsin, you know, I think about, okay, there might be ways that they generate their contracts with clients. It might be some way AI informed or the ways that they analyze legal documents or the way that they search for previous legal uh, precedents. You know, already like the Lexus Nexuses of the world and whatnot have some kind of AI baked in there, NLP kind of for, for more in-depth search than simple keywords or simple title searches, right? They're allowing for some absorbing of broader concepts, broader clause types, things like that. So there's like search tools we might use. There's maybe something around the generation of contracts, although that feels a little bit earlier on. What are the places where in the next five years, your average lawyer is going to have to understand, hey, this is actually going to shift your workflow. This is going to shift your day-to-day life. It's a great question, Dan, because everyone's gravitating to automation like you're talking about, but you're already starting to see some innovation tools come out. So you have some companies now that are actually doing an AI like linguistic analysis and study of judges. And so their past rulings, how they, their style. Uh, so they know that, okay, what kind of motions, objections, even language is going to connect with the judge. Wow. <laughs> really? I, I mean, well, so I, I would love to see that use case because that sounds very strategic and interesting. It's, it's, it's already happening. You already got people using things like, AI capabilities and psychographic profiling and neurolinguistics to actually do jury selection. I, I can't remember the name of the TV show where they had that guy kind of look at people and analyze and figure out. It's like they have AI tools that can actually do that now. Huh. And so you can actually figure out, say, is this guy going to be 
helpful, hurtful? Is this, should I burn my objection and have this person removed? So it's really altered the strategy now because I, I hate to say this, and you know, most lawyers, at least publicly, won't agree, but privately will. They're not that great at judging the, the character and the motivations of people. And they found that AI, just through the choice of words, body language, the way they're dressed, can actually infer a lot about that person. How do you get that data, I wonder? I mean, how famous of a judge do you have to be to have enough video, audio, ruling history, and then somebody's got to go ahead and categorize and label a lot of that stuff and make sure that these facial expressions are being tracked right or these judgments are being put under the same category under a similar circumstance. None of that data is automatically enriched on the world. Somebody's got to go do that. It feels like that's not transparently there yet. There's so much work to bring that to life. I mean, this this is at least my instinct here. You might be surprised, Dan, in that- We've been teaching AI psychology for almost a decade now. So they're very good. Like you you think about like the human lie detector. There's over 2,000 points on your face alone that reveal a lie. The best human can watch five to seven of those points in real time. AI can watch all 2,000 in real time. I haven't seen the academic literature on actual lie detection AI just yet. I mean, I've seen like emotion detection. We've had like Affectiva and a bunch of those players on the show. You know, NVIDIA and other folks that are looking at, at facial and making inferences. But what you're saying is that even in lie detecting, there's kind of beyond human performance there? there? There is. I'm not surprised you haven't read much about these things because they're primarily used by law enforcement. Okay. And they don't want to reveal their secret sauce, so to speak, to give yeah. people a way to beat the system. But yeah, that tech has been around for almost 10 years now. Do you, do you think that'll make its way? I mean, let's just say I, you know, I live in Providence, Rhode Island, and I'm a lawyer, and I've, I got somebody on a DUI case or something. Is it realistic to say that five years from now, I'm going to be looking at the video feeds or have, have some vendors, because as a lawyer, I'm not going to have the skills to do this. Some vendor will have already analyzed the video feeds of this judge. By the way, I have no idea if this is legal. My guess is it's not. And, and determine kind of what influences them or not, and then provide me with that information. My, my guess is that that would be illegal. Or maybe somebody's crunched the numbers on decisions over time under different circumstances and been able to provide some programmatically generated set of uh, recommendations on strategy based on the judge. Is that accessible, realistic in the coming half decade for you? It, it is. And some of that is actually here. I mean, like the, the judges, they're their rulings, a lot of stuff in the court are actually public documents. Yeah, sure. That wouldn't surprise me. So, so yeah, the data is available. But I'll share a company that's called uh, Legal Nation. It was okay. an AI company started by three lawyers who were trying to build a tool for their own firm and realized they could scale it out. And essentially what their AI lawyer does, if someone files a complaint against you, the AI will actually read the complaint, generate the corresponding court documents, start generating the deposition questions, but it'll also actually start looking at case strategy. And so Walmart is actually one of their customers. Walmart had a case where a guy, ironically, who was a dentist, chipped his tooth when he bit into a chicken gizzard. So he sued Walmart for damages. And I'm sure normally Walmart would just settle out of court. I don't know how much money, I'll make it up like 10, 20 grand or something and be done with it. But now that because they're using LegalMation's AI, it, it does the work of like a three-year uh, associate lawyer would normally like 10, 12 hours, does it in two minutes. 
And part of that two minutes, it came back and said as part of the case strategy, that's a material fact that when chickens eat, they eat stones and they get stored in the gizzard. So the fact that the plaintiff, you know, bought a whole chicken, tried to eat the gizzard, should have been aware of the risk. That argument won Walmart the case. They didn't pay anything. And, you know, we were looking at this going like, there's nothing about chickens or stones in the training set or any kind of stuff. And it, it was able to piece that together. And I was talking to some managing partners of the big law firm saying like, hey, would any of your guys have been able to figure this out? And they were like, not unless they were a chicken farmer. Hmm. So this, this ability to anticipate and draw and, you know, some of that actually already exists. Where this is starting to click for me, Neil, and tell me if I'm on the right page, is I'm imagining, you know, in the future of drug discovery, there's a, a thousand applications of AI and drug discovery we talk about, but we can imagine the, the hypotheses we want to start with, maybe what uh, what proteins are going to respond in what way to based on what kind of symptoms or what kind of outcomes we desire or whatever. There was an old school way of looking through the medical literature to begin an initial test set of hypotheses for the, for those kind of questions. And then there there might be a more robust AI-enabled search and discovery process where we can more deeply match broader concepts, more deeply find certain kinds of correlations in not just keyword search, but papers that actually show a connection between certain symptoms, certain chemicals, and in a way that other individual keyword searches could just never do. And then that's going to become the new norm. And unless you're doing that, you're just like weeks and weeks and weeks behind the actual process of drug discovery unless you adopt those new tools. It might become the case in legal, if I'm hearing you correctly, that when you get all the parameters of your case, uh, presuming some of the, you know, some vendors got to organize and quantify that. Because as you and I both know, when the government pumps out a document, a public document of what judge ruled in what way, there's no automatic way that all of that is labeled in a way that's ingestible where, oh, of course, it's very obvious. Very little of that is obvious, actually. What are the meta categories we want to track? What indicates a certain kind of decision, whatever. But uh, it seems like there would be vendors that would drink in all that stuff and then allow you to start your proceeding with a little bit of an informed kind of pre-done strategic take versus the manual grind of hunting and pecking like in life sciences. Are those analogous to you or, or is there a bit of a difference there? No, they're, they're, they're very analogous. And I, I hate to say it this way, just the way the legal system works, at least in the U.S., it's going to wind up being the probably the bar association that's going to drive the adoption of a lot of these changes because mm. you're going to see the the more cutting edge firms start to, you know using or building these tools and it's going to give them a huge advantage and the legal system yeah. is like well you, you can't just skew it like that we got to level the playing field and they'll start saying well all the firms you need to start using this stuff yeah actually well i mean that was actually something else i totally wanted to bring up with you is when I think about the requirements of this technology, they're going to come out in one of two ways. It's either going to be a vendor or it's some gigantic legal firm that somehow has an R&D budget, most of which are probably not exactly the, the hottest AI shops in town. Even if you are a nice big law firm, you probably don't have the best guys. But but you certainly have more than a mom and pop uh, you know, law firm in, in Wisconsin. Even when the vendors first go to market, you know, and we've gotten to see legal tech roll out over the last half a decade at various and sundry levels, most of them are not targeting a fella named Jim, you know, who handles X number of cases a year. They're they're targeting the folks that would have the budget, that would have the volumes, that would maybe even have somebody to help work with and, and manage the system. So it is going to make it through vendors, but even even if it is vendors, it's still going to start more at the top. 
Do you think that the Bar Association is going to force a leveling of the playing field, or are they just going to encourage it? Because it seems almost inevitable that the big folks are going to have this strategy generation, legal precedent research automation, et cetera. They're going to have this stuff way before the small guys. They, they probably will, although the, the real innovations are coming from the small guys. Huh. But I think the Bar Association will have to force it. I mean, they, like I said, they had to force firms to use desktop computers to level the playing field. That that happened like 20 years ago. You know? So I I, I just think that's just the way it's going to be because I know from a lot of, like, you know, partner standpoints, especially, you know, some of the the older established firms, they're they're realizing that, hey, we're not, you want us to fix something that's not really broken. And that's the big challenge is like, well, we make lots of money this way. The ironic thing is why some of these firms are even doing this in the first place is the business model is changing. Yeah. You have a lot more clients now putting pressure on the costs. They don't want the billable hour. They want fixed price. And now the, the smart firms are realizing we have to move to fixed price. We have to manage costs better. So now we need tools to help be more efficient. Well, AI is proving to be a, a really powerful source for us. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And it seems to me, you know, I'm looking at some of what you've just brought up here. Definitely the field is changing. And again, (laughs) well, actually, this is a really curious example. Not all industries are like this inherently, but legal inherently is. If we're getting, if we're billing by the hour, why would we become more efficient in any way, shape or form? And that's a little bit unfortunate. In all seriousness, I actually consider that to be an unfortunate incentive structure uh, in the space writ large. But, but it, you know, we have the rocket lawyer and everything else. I mean, there's so much competition at the lower end that I think, you know, people are feeling the heat there. They, they, uh, they certainly ought to be. We've talked about a number of use cases. There's being able to search for legal precedents and judgments and whatnot with the, the Lexus Nexuses or, or other kinds of tools of that kind. There is potentially ways to comb through audio video, and I don't know the legality there, or just judgments of previous judges in previous circumstances and maybe informed strategy there. There might even be AI. You mentioned a vendor, and I haven't seen their tech, so I have no judgment here uh, one way or another. But you mentioned a, a vendor that might even be able to suggest a starting point on strategy in addition to just showing you the research, which is kind of a, an even next level beyond that. Then there's these weird edge cases like Alexa murders, which I imagine less than a thousand, one in a thousand lawyers or one in 10,000 lawyers are going to run up against even in the next half a decade. But I could be wrong about that. Which of these do you think are, and are there others that are totally going to become par for the course in the next half decade? Have we covered the major ones that you think of? Or are there one or two that lawyers who are listening in now or folks that have lawyers on their team should know about? Well, I, I think there's going to be more. I, the Alexa thing hopefully stays rare, but yeah. we're starting to see more things like divorce where they're using Alexa or their smart TV, which is recording audio to show that their spouse is, you know, not being faithful or, is, oh, you know, wow. doing so. yeah. So, you know, your smartphone technically listens to everything you say as well. So you start having like divorce lawyers now starting to think like, wait, is there a source of information here I could tap into for these cases? And I think that's where you're really going to start to see is where we're talking about a lot about the tools, but this is where the knowledge of the technology is going to become paramount for the lawyers because they're going to find now new ways to get evidence and prove their case. Yeah. That's going to be a big thing. The other big thing I'll talk about that we haven't touched upon is the other side of law, which is the judicial. 
So like work with like the United Nations, they're very big about uh, AI judges. In China, they've actually, they have, they started virtual courtrooms back in 2019. They have a AI arbitrator now. And so people are actually having online courts, but you're, now you're actually presenting your case to an AI system. And it's actually doing like 10,000 cases at the same time. So how do you now argue to that? Estonia has rolled out actually AI robot judges, I think for traffic court, if I remember correctly. So if you're a lawyer now and you have to try your case in front of a, a robot, how does that change things? Or what if your opposition counsel is an AI system, how does that change your strategy, right? Huh. And so you think, well, and I don't know exactly what this looks like. Let's say I'm in Australia or wherever this is going on. China, I have no idea. A little bit of a different legal uh, scenario over there uh, to, 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 uh, to put things lightly. But let's just say we're, we're somewhere in Australia or wherever, maybe in Texas in X number of years. And these traffic tickets are doled out algorithmically in some way, shape, or form. It's, it's not like you're in the room with an actual robot, you know, moving its arms saying beep, beep, boop. You know, you're, I can't imagine it's like that. But it does sound like maybe there is a different way to make your case or argument if it wasn't sent out by a person, but by a software system. So what you're saying is there's going to be new precedents of how certain kinds of cases and certain kinds of legal scenarios are arbitrated or argued or put forth if they are conjured forth by a system versus a, a human. Yeah. And I, I don't know how many people are familiar or ever been in court, hopefully not too many, but <laughs> it's not just you argue the facts of the case, you're trying to make an emotional appeal, right? Yeah. And to a robot, and that's a tough, that's if, a tough yeah, if it's an AI, it's an AI robot, is that going to work anymore? Probably not, right? That really changes the complexity, really changes then the style of how you can present things. Because the judge, even if it's still a trial jury, the judge is still making you know rulings on objections and what's permissible, all this kind of stuff. And well, maybe your ability to tug the heartstrings is going to be impaired. Yeah. Okay. So so there's going to be. The searching for legal precedence, there might be the beginning seeds of strategy generated by AI. There might also be whole categories of types of cases that are initiated by software as opposed to by people where the way you make a credible case is just a different thing, soup to nuts. It's a different way of going about it. It is. And I, I think people don't realize how profound some of these changes will wind up being and how impactful it's going to be in their lives, even if it's not a direct impact. It's, you know, I hope the United Nations start the whole AI for good initiative and, you know, using the technology for the sustainable development goals. Well, goal number nine is access to justice. And this has become such a, again, big and rapid change that the United Nations is out adding an AI and law track to their work. So, you know, you had like AI in health and AI in finance. Well, now there's an AI and law track. That, that's how evolutionary or revolutionary these changes are going to be to the entire system. Yeah. Well, it's it'll be curious to see which innovations become new norms. But you've brought up a few that I think are more than worthwhile to put on the radar for folks who are tuned in. And I think there's a lot of analogies here to what you're talking about, even outside of legal. And we'll end on this point, Neil. I'd love your perspective on this because I think you'll have something to say here because you're clearly looking at innovation outside of law too. On the, on the research and strategy side, you know, we talked about it in law. We also talked about it in drug development. If you're not using AI-enabled tools to inform your initial hypotheses and more quickly start with the right information to 
work towards the drug, you're going to just be behind your peers. If you are manually hunting and pecking through judgments and through past legal precedents, as opposed to having a system that can pull that stuff up for you, you're going to be behind your peers. So there's kind of like a workflow efficiency augmentation upgrade that seems somewhat inevitable and legal. And then there's also instances where entire workflows and approaches are going to have to change. If you're operating in a system where, you know, in law, you're arguing for automotive violation of some kind, and you're, and it was kicked out by a machine versus a human, and there's a whole different legal process there, you've now got to adjust your flow. Probably in many other industries, there's going to be times where you're interacting with a machine as well. Maybe invoices will be sent out by machines, and your invoice response process will have to change. So it, it feels like these legal changes are good ways to open the imagination of people in other industries. Let me know what your thoughts are about that, but I feel like there's some great takeaways for other listeners too. No, I, I absolutely agree. Like I know the insurance companies now are trying to figure out what do you do with auto insurance when you have self-driving vehicles, right? Who oh, has yeah. liability and, you know, do people, people actually own cars or are they just going to have order it like a right share and Uber yeah. or Lyft, you know? And so the legal complexities are driving other shifts in other businesses. So you see an AI robot doctor, right? Misdiagnosis, again, what, what happens? Or how do you check the training? So I know that in the state of California, there was a, a bill proposed and it hasn't moved forward yet that if you're going to use AI in a system and something goes wrong, you at least have to share how it got trained, what data was used, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Because you know most companies obviously don't want to do that because it's kind of revealing their secret sauce. So there's lots of questions, lots of changes. And the honest truth is 10 years from now, Dan, Ninety uh, percent of everything we do or use will have some AI component to it. Oh, Every industry is going to be changed. Preaching to the choir on that one, but uh, yeah, I, uh, lots of good imagination starting points here, Neil. I appreciate you sharing your expertise on this, and I think that it'll be if we get to catch up in three years from now to see how divorce law and other parts of law have to draw on cell phone data, smart TVs, all these other sources of evidence. Right? I mean that evidence ecosystem is about to explode. Imagine where we're really? living in VR and even the, our, where our eyeballs are moving is getting tracked 24-7. Imagine how that stuff will play its way into into legal cases. We'll, uh, we'll have some good things to chat about into the future, I'm sure. But Neil, I know that's all we had for time. Thank you so much for being able to join us today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Dan. I had a blast, man. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. A big thank you to Neil for joining us and thank you to you, our guest, for being able to tune in all the way through to the end of this episode. If you've enjoyed what you've heard here on the AI and Business Podcast, this is our ninth or this might be our 10th now month, over 100,000 downloads a month. It is due to listeners like you who've given us great ideas about what you've liked about the show, what you want to see more of, and continuing to come back and listen. And that's, that's why it means the world to us. Here at Emerge, podcast reviews and any of our email surveys are things that we look at on a weekly basis, and they matter a ton to us. If you want to help other people learn about the AI and Business Podcast, or just give us feedback to help us know what to give you more of that would be even more helpful for your career and staying ahead of the curve, please do consider dropping us a five-star review on iTunes. It's as easy as searching AI in Business Podcast and leaving a review. Be sure to mention, again, particular episodes you like, or things in the future you'd like to hear more of. We are actually reading these. It's not just people on iTunes. 
Uh, and so we appreciate your support in that regard. We've had a lot more reviews since we've actually asked for them. I don't do a great job of doing that often, but it means the world for those of you who already have. So thanks so much. And that brings a close to this episode. I look forward to catching you next time here on the AI and Business Podcast.